Take your Bible, turn to Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4. A few weeks ago, I mentioned uh, kind of offhand that, um, you know, there are, in our culture today, we have a lot of preppers in our society, don't we? Some of y'all are fit in that category. As soon as I said uh, something about preppers, I had a bunch of people come talk to me and say, you know, it's not bad being a preppers. I wasn't saying it was bad being a preppers. I'm not saying you're being unreasonable or illogical. In fact, in your honor, today I've entitled the message, Wisdom Readiness. <laughs> um, you know what preppers do? They have food and water on hand. They have a backup energy source. They have forms of protection and communication ready to go. In fact, sometimes they... Um, drill with these things, make sure they're ready to go. How many of us have not, how many of us have come to grab our flashlight when we needed it and the batteries are dead and have been dead for like six months and we, you know, because we didn't prepare, we didn't get ready. You know, they, they prepare themselves not because you need it right now, but because you might need it in the future. So preparedness, readiness has become an important part of person's lifestyle. In fact, this person sacrifices their finances and their time to be sure that they are ready when something unexpected happens. How many of you were around for Hurricane Hugo when it hit this area? A, good, a few. Oh, not as many as I thought. When Hugo hit the Rock Hill area in 1989, it left an impact, and people still talk about it uh, from around this area. People still in fact, I think that the reason we have sirens set up the way they are, you hear them test occasionally, things like that. A lot of that was put in after Hugo came through and knocked out power for about two weeks or longer for some. There were down trees, there were power lines that were down for a long time, and it really scared people in this area into being ready and being prepared. I want you to consider the message this morning in many ways like a checklist for wisdom readiness. Father, I ask you give us grace as we look into your word that we would be ready for the troubles and the difficulties and the challenges and the decisions that come our way. And may we fill our hearts with your wisdom so that when we make decisions, we are ready to respond as you would have us respond. We thank you for your word that gives us not only truth about life, how to have eternal life, but also truth about godliness, that is how to live in this world today. We thank you, Lord, for that, and we ask your blessing on our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 1 through 9 contains several sermons or lectures or lessons from a father-son, teacher-pupil relationship. We see that several times. In fact, so far, if you just recount in your mind, as I know, these are firmly etched in your brain to this point, but Proverbs chapter 1, as we talked about the foundation of wisdom, especially Proverbs 1, 7, which says that the, the ultimate, the, the most important foundation for wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. We must have a fear of God. We must have a foundation for wisdom, of listening for wisdom, pursuing wisdom, having a believing heart. These are all essential for wisdom. The rest of Proverbs 1, we saw how wisdom takes a, a, a listening from us. We must have the humility to receive and listen to wisdom when it comes. We cannot be always talking. We have to have a listening ear, and we have to discern between the call of wisdom and the call of foolishness. There, there are competing calls in our world today. There are competing voices in our ears, and we must listen for wisdom. And in chapter 2, we saw Proverbs uh, gave us a journey, a quest that involves attitudes, it involves benefits and results in deliverance and life, a quest for wisdom. And then last week in chapter 3, we saw how to develop a heart for wisdom, how to develop a desire, a heart that is trained to receive God's wisdom, desire God's wisdom, use God's wisdom so that we learn to trust God in his wisdom. As we go into chapter 4, 
Some of this material will sound familiar. We will see again the importance of wisdom and what we must do as we are to ready ourselves. First, we must do this. We must, we see in the first nine verses, we must acquire wisdom with the right. We must have the right love. We must have the right love. We must acquire wisdom. Simple question. Do you love truth enough to acquire truth? How are you doing at acquiring truth? First, we see here you must acquire it. Number one, you must hear and internalize good teaching. Hear and internalize good teaching. This is familiar ground. Read verse 1. It says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. Give attention and no understanding. He says, Hear, that is, listen up. This is the same word that's uh, used in, in Deuteronomy. He used that in the proclamation, Deuteronomy chapter 6, when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You've got to hear and listen. Hear, my children, the instructions of a father. Give attention to no understanding. Pay attention, listen up. Emphasis here is on the instruction of a father that's given within a home. You must pay attention to truth. The father speaks and commands to give attention so they know understanding. Read verse 2. For I give, notice here, I give good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. What he gives, look at verse 2. What does he give? What does the Bible say he gives? He gives what? Good doctrine. Good teaching. There is good teaching. There are good precepts. There is good insight. And there is a sharp distinction between good teaching and bad teaching. You're going to hear lots of things in your life that will teach you. You're going to hear people trying to convince you of something. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to hear good teaching or bad teaching? You need to open your hearts to that which is good teaching. If you look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26, the Bible tells us, uh, this is the, the father figure again speaking to his son. He says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Give me your heart because he is giving good wisdom. You are not to forsake his law. My son, give me your heart. You must entrust yourself. You must acquire wisdom properly through the work of the father there. Acquire it. Your, your father here is, in this sense, giving good teaching. He says, do not forsake. This word forsake, if you go back to um, verse 2, the word forsake here has the concept or has the idea of, of leaving a relationship. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 teaches us the foundation of marriage. He says, this reason of father, a man must, what? For this reason, a man must leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And in this sense, the word forsake or to leave means to leave a pre-established relationship and be joined to a new relationship. He says, Father, I, he says, Son, I give you good doctrine. Do not leave my law. Do not forsake my law. Do not walk away from my law. This is a relationship word. And, and the idea is even connected to divorce. When a husband and wife are divorced, they are to leave one another. They leave one another, this separation here. And, and notice in verse 3, he says, when I was a father's son, this word when is actually a, a causal idea that saying that you ought to listen because I have been where you are and I've heard the teaching. I've walked your path. My father taught me these things and I, I acquired wisdom as well. Verse 4, he speaks of what has been taught. He says he did not originate. He did not create the wisdom. It came from his father. It was the generational wisdom. And God gives responsibilities. Listen up, dads. God gives responsibilities of you dads to, to teach wisdom to your children, to, to ingrain in them the truths in your sons. 
Pass on the ways of living as fathers of sons. This is a formation of a father, a formation of a son from a father. Not just imparting knowledge. We're talking about character, forming character. Not only did the father hear truth, but he also internalized truth. I want you to notice this. Go back to verse 1. Read with me. He says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. Give attention, no understanding. I give good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Where did he get this law? When I was a father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. My father taught me, and now it's my to give to you. There is an internalization of this law. It was given to him, and it became so much a part of him that now it's his law to give out. That's why I said you need to hear and internalize good teaching. Some of us, we're really good at short-term memory. We have the in one ear, out the other. You know, in fact, it used to drive me crazy. My wife and I, when I was growing up, when I was in um, grad school and we were married and she would help me study, uh, she could learn my stuff faster than I could. And it would get me so mad because she has fantastic short-term memory. Now, I, I have her beat on the long-term memory, um, but, but we, would, we would study together and I would be so angry that she could learn my material before me. We have, uh, we have a need, friends, to internalize and not just have short-term memory, but to really let it become part of us. And, and what is the message that the Father gives? What's the message that the Father has for us? If you look at verses 5 through 9, we see that we need to pursue wisdom with everything you have. Pursue wisdom with everything you have. How are you doing at acquiring truth? Verse 5, get wisdom. That means purchase it. Acquire it. Get it. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away the words of my mouth. Verse 6, do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her. She will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory will she deliver to you. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Purchase it. Buy it. Any way you can, acquire it. Be a collector. Be an acquirer of wisdom, and don't forsake it. Don't forget it. There's, it's interesting. He puts both the active and the passive here. Don't, don't forsake it, and also don't forget it. Don't, don't, don't push it aside, but also don't just pass by and forget that it's there. There are things that we have in our life that we throw away, and there are things in our life that we forget we have. Um, I have purchased things and then realized I already had one. I forgot. And there are other things that I don't want anymore, so I throw it away. He's saying, don't do either one of these. Don't throw away wisdom, and, and don't forget about it. If you have it, remember it, acquire it. The answer is simple here. How do you get this wisdom? You, look, you get it by looking for it. You get it by pursuing it, and you get it with pursuing it with everything you have because it's worth the pursuit. Notice verse 7. I love this. He says, wisdom is the primary or principal thing. Have you ever seen those t-shirts that say, first coffee, then life? Have you seen that? Or you seen uh, people put, you know, say, don't talk to me yet, I haven't had my coffee? Uh, some, of you, some of you are like that. You know, you say, I, I can't talk yet, I haven't had my morning coffee. I want you to think of it this way. This is what he's saying. First wisdom, then life. Okay, don't attempt life without wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. 
Don't attempt to live life without understanding the wisdom of God's Word. We have to have this principal thing in our life because wisdom will pay you back for honoring her. Look at verse 8 and 9. The picture is of Lady Wisdom as this mother figure, a patroness, kind of you, you serve her and she blesses you for serving her. She gives you honor. Verse 8 and 9, exalt her, she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace a crown of glory. It's like you're going to have a graceful ornament. You're going to have a, a beautiful thing on your head because of this, of this a wisdom that you have honored. And I asked you this question earlier. Do you love truth enough to acquire truth? What processes do you have in place to acquire truth, to gain truth today? What processes do you have in place to face the world that is opposed to truth? Do you, how do you hear truth? So some of you uh, have a great tradition or a great habit of getting up in the morning and reading your Bible, and you want to do that. Some of you have not even begun to grow because you have no pattern of internalizing and receiving God's truth. Let me challenge you to get up and read God's Word. Some of you, I, I've talked to people who say, look, I'm not a good reader. I, I, I struggle maintaining um, focus on a long time. There are wonderful, if you have a phone or an, or an iPad or something, sometimes you can get these apps that will read the Bible to you, and you can read the Bible and let the words come in through your ears and through, and through your eyes at the same time, and sometimes that is the best thing that someone can do, to do that, to, to read. I, I get distracted by that stuff. I like to read on paper, that's what I like to do because I like to write all kinds of notes in my Bible. But whatever works for you, how are you hearing? How are you internalizing God's Word? Do you think about God's Word? Do you, do you meditate? The biblical word is meditate on God's Word. So many times it's, like I said, in one ear, out the other. We need to internalize. Do you pursue God's Word? When you're listening to the radio, when you're flipping through the radio stations and you hear a preacher on the radio, do you ever stop the pause and just there's God's Word coming out the radio. Perhaps it'll be good stuff. Maybe you can learn something, or do you quickly move on? Like, do you pursue God's Word? Are you passing it on to the next generation? All these things are so important. Do you have the ability to acquire wisdom? Secondly, I want you to see we must rely on it. You must learn to rely on wisdom. Rely on wisdom. Are you aware of the choices you make and what you rely on? Look at verse 10 through 13. We'll see by the way, a key word that appears here in verses 12, 16, and 19 is the word stumble or fall. You'll notice it. If you want to circle that, you'll notice it as it comes out. We'll talk about relying on wisdom here. Which, how should you rely on your wisdom? Number one, rely on it to choose your paths. To choose your paths. He says in verse 10, hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Rely on her. There's a lot of blessings in life that follow those who hear and receive the saying of wisdom. I mean, look at this. He says there's a picture of a road here, a road to wisdom that was taught by the Father. There's a road here. There's a path you need to follow, and the results of walking on this path are that your Steps will not be hindered. You will not trip, and when you run, you will not stumble. In fact, the narrow path that we see in the Scripture is narrow to find, but it actually, the picture here of the narrow path is that it is much easier on your feet than going 
on the other way. There's a wonderful, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, there's a wonderful little scene where, where Pilgrim, or, or the Pilgrim there, or, or, the, or the Christian, I think he's called Christian at that point, and his partner look over into a, a place called Bypath Meadow, and they see this meadow that's beside the path, and they decide, doesn't it look beautiful over there? Doesn't it look easy over there? Doesn't it look so much nicer? And so they cross over the, the, they cross over the fence where they should be going on the road, and they, and they walk down Bypath Meadow, and they meet a man there named Vain Confidence. And vain confidence is, 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 is described as the man who is boastful and thinks he knows where he's going, and, and he goes on ahead of them, ends up falling in a pit. And then they're captured by this giant called despair, and it's a wonderful allegory for Christian life, but there is a path we need to follow, and you'll be often tempted to jump the fence and go to another place that looks more pleasant. But let me tell you, there is nothing more pleasant about another path. When, you, when you're in the path, when you're choosing the right path, your feet will not stumble you will not trip. In fact, he talks about being able to run. There will be tempting side roads. There will be tempting detours. But remember this right here. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful, the way of the transgressor is hard. Wisdom will clear the path so you can walk and you may run. If we go to God's blessings in Deuteronomy. He tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His paths or His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20 says, you may love the Lord your God, you may obey His voice, you may cling to Him, for He is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. God will give blessings to those who follow His path. You must do that. Secondly, to avoid evil temptations. You need to do this to choose your path, but also to avoid evil temptations. I want you to look at all the warnings starting in verse 14 all the way through verse 17. Look at the warnings of avoiding. And we read this in our Scripture reading this morning. In verse 14, he says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil, the path of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. They do not sleep unless they've done evil. Their sleep is taken away unless they make someone stumble or fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. Look at the warnings. You're called to, to stay off the wrong paths. And I think this is a danger every single one of us faces, no matter if you're, if you're 10 years old or if you're 95 years old. Every one of us faces the temptation to go on a wrong path. And when we face that temptation, he says, you, have, you only have one option. That is, you should not enter the path. You should not walk by that. You should avoid it. You should not travel on it. You should turn away from it. You should pass on. I mean, he lists about six ways in which you are to stay away from this path. You're to get away from it. And, and staying out of trouble means staying away from trouble. We need to be careful not to put ourselves close to wickedness. There's a lot of Christians who, who see how close they can get to the edge. They want to get close to the world. They want to get close to sin. They think they can get very close to it, and they can flirt with wickedness and not get caught up in it. But the path of the righteous says, don't choose even going close to that path. Why would you go that way? It's a path of wickedness. It's a path of destruction. It's not going to help you. He describes these people. He says, they will not sleep unless they've done evil. Well, that's fascinating. They, they can't go to bed at night. They're, they're lying awake in their bed at night, not stirred up in their hearts because they've done something wrong, but because they haven't. 
They think, I got to get back up and I got to go out there and do some wickedness. I can't sleep at night unless I've done some, something evil. And then he says, they, their sleep is taken away unless they can make someone stumble. They like having friends fall with them. You know, failure has a lot of friends. And, and, and walking away from God is a very big crowd. People love to, to gather others as they go towards destruction. And here he says they eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. Wow, some powerful language there that as they eat and drink, it's, it's wickedness, it's violence. They feel like their day is incomplete unless they've caused someone else danger. We need to do this to avoid evil temptations. And last, we need to do it to see the way forward because we can see the contrast in verses 18 and 19 of the way forward. He says the path of the just is like the shining sun. It shines even brighter until the perfect day and the way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't even know what makes them, what's the last word there? Stumble. The way of the wicked, they fall and they don't know why. They fall and they don't know what brought them there. They wake up on the ground and they say, why am I here? Why do I have bruises? Why, do I, why am I in pain? Why is my life a disaster? And they have no answers because they do not have the light of the gospel of Christ, the light of the word of God. The contrast could not be sharper. The road of the righteous persons is like the shining of the sun, the brightest thing you can imagine. Don't stare at the sun. It will hurt your eyes. They all told us that when we had the, uh, the eclipse, right? Don't stare into the sun because it's dangerous. It is the brightest thing you can imagine. But the, the path of the righteous person is like the shining of the sun that grows even brighter. The path of the wicked is exactly the opposite because they have not relied on wisdom. Lastly, I want you to see, and we get to point number three here, that you need to evaluate yourself by it. You need to evaluate yourself. One of the hardest things to do is self-evaluation. If you have a job where they require you to do a self-evaluation, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to peel back the layers, the layers of pretending or a falsehood, and to admit where you fail. Having a self-evaluation is difficult, and it's time, friends, to evaluate your wisdom readiness, okay? And in order for us to do this, to have any success of God working in our hearts today, I need to ask you to honestly evaluate yourselves in these areas. Number one, do you have the right love and the right direction? Are you acquiring wisdom? Have you chosen the right path forward? And what can you do to stay on this path? So in the next several verses, Solomon's going to take us through the ways in which we receive when we respond to wisdom. And we're going to take an inventory, a kind of checklist where we'll evaluate everything according to God's expectations. Look at verse 20. First, we'll evaluate your ears. Evaluate your ears as we make preparation here. Evaluate your ears. What are you hearing? Who are you listening to? My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, health to their flesh. He says, concentrate on this. Give attention to this. Uh, A Bible scholar named Derek Kidner reminds us that. He says, a major part of godliness lies in the dogged attentiveness to familiar truths. Godliness is not about new stuff all the time. It's about being familiar and being attentive to what we know. 
And he says, I want you to incline your, hear, your ears to the hearing of your teacher. To incline means to reach out. It means that you like you turn your ear, you pull your ear out so you can hear the truth. And he says, don't let these instructions depart from you. This is a matter of life and death. He says, if you find them, they'll be life to you. If you believe them, they'll bring health to you. Who has your ears? Who are you listening to? People walk around all day with earbuds in. You ever talk to somebody in the, in the uh, excuse me, sir, excuse me, and you realize, oh, they have earbuds in. They're not listening. They're not even in this world. They're listening to something else. They're listening to somebody talk on a podcast about something, right? And, and, and they're completely in a different world, and you try to interrupt them. They're, oh, excuse me. They pull out their headphone. Now they're present. Friend, where is your ear? Who has your ear? Some of us, you're in church. You're in a, good fa- you're in a family that's teaching you truth, but your ears are somewhere else. You're allowing others to teach. You're allowing non-truth to have an impact in your heart. Are you wisdom ready? Have you been listening to truth? Have you been bending your ears to truth? Or are you listening to whatever makes you feel good? Secondly, I want you to evaluate your heart. Now, the word heart, last week I talked about this, is the control center of the human being. It has to do with your desires. It has to do with your loves. It has to do with your choices. But here I want to really focus on what I believe is the emphasis of this verse, which is the emotional desires and the loves of a person's heart. Look at verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence or vigilance, depending on how you want to say that. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Your heart should not be wide open to every influence. Your heart should not be non-discriminatory, if you know what I mean. I'm not saying you should be bigoted. I'm saying you should not allow every piece of information to hold the same weight. You need to be discriminating who has access and who has input into your heart. You do not listen the same as you do to the radio as you do to your father or mother. You do not listen to all people the same. You need to be discriminating. You should not give away your heart to whatever seems the most helpful or attractive. Your heart should be on the alert. It should be aware. It should be guarded. It should be kept. And the reason for this is simple, that out of your heart, which can be easily impacted, flows everything else. Keep your heart with all vigilance because you need to protect it against the danger Now, should you make your heart a steel trap against all input? No, obviously not. We read earlier, my son, give me your heart. And the father here speaks to his son. We're talking about guarding it against the wrong influences. We don't like to think that we're easily swayed. We don't like to think that that other people have an influence on what we think. But if we'll be honest, we'd recognize how many things we simply say and we accept because others say and accept them. And we find ourselves just going along for the ride, and we are afraid to stop and say, now, wait a minute. Is that, is that really true? Uh, I don't know exactly how long ago this was. I think I was exposed to this. Earlier this year, I saw this post online. Somebody shared it, and I, I kept it because it was so, so good. And it, it, it occurred to me as I was working on my message this week, this is a perfect example of someone who went through their life thinking one thing because they just always accepted it. This person wrote online, he said, when I was young, my father said to me, knowledge is power, Francis Bacon. I understood it as knowledge is power, France is bacon. So he didn't understand that this was a quote by a man named Francis Bacon. He said, more than a decade, I wondered over the meaning of the second part and what was the surreal linkage between the two. 
If I said the quote to someone, knowledge is power, France is bacon, they nodded, and they nodded knowingly. Someone might say, knowledge is power, and I finished the quote, France is bacon. And they wouldn't look at me like I'd said something very odd, but they would thoughtfully agree. I did ask a teacher, what did knowledge is power, France is bacon, mean? And I got a full 10-minute explanation on the knowledge of power bit, but nothing on France's bacon. When I prompted further explanation by saying, France's bacon, in a questioning tone, I just got a yes. At 12, I didn't have the confidence to press it further. I just accepted it as something I'd never understand. And then he says, a couple years later, he saw it written in print, and he dropped his pencil. When you recognize sometimes we just accept things from the world around us because we've heard them, we're like, oh, well, I guess that's just how it works. You have the Word of God which confronts the world around us. The world around us is telling you things that do not make sense. We could go through a whole list. We're not going to because we'd be here all day. The world around you is trying to convince you of things that are lies. You need to confront the world with the truth and guard your heart. Do not just accept stuff and say, well, I guess this is the way it goes, and just go with it. You deal with these things according to God's Word. You evaluate your heart. You need to also evaluate your, evaluate your mouth. It's not just about what you bring into your mind. It's also important what you say, because there's a connection between what you speak and what you think. If you find yourself speaking truth, you'll find yourself believing truth. If you find yourself believing truth, you'll find yourself speaking truth. But if you find yourself speaking lies, you will eventually find yourself believing those lies. What you say is not just, is not just what comes out of your heart. The Scripture tells us uh, in Luke chapter 6, a very important uh, passage here, he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But if you look at verse 24 of Proverbs 4, put away from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips far from you, I believe that the, the, that the lips that we have, the words that we speak, the things that we say are very, very important because they can actually make an impact on what you believe. Say something long enough and you'll start believing it. Then he says, evaluate your eyes, verse 25. What do you see? What are your eyes turning? Let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyelids look right before you. Keep your eyes focused on where you're walking. Sin here is described as turning aside from one way or the other and not staying on the path of truth. I had a friend in college who came in one day to um, our dormitory. He had a black eye. And I knew he had spent the evening before walking around downtown with his girlfriend. So I asked him what had happened. And at first he told me this long story about when he was walking down the path and there was this this guy who was on the side of the road, he started mocking his girlfriend, so he got kind of aggressive with him, and he started a fight with him, and, he, and the guy punched him in the face. I was stunned. I was like, I can't believe this. And then he told me the truth. <laughs> he said, no, no, I was just walking down the sidewalk, and I was looking at my girlfriend, you know, my beautiful girlfriend. I was just enraptured by her, and I walked right into a pole. <laughs> the other story was way better. But why did he walk into the pole? Because his eyes were not straight on. He, he was looking somewhere where he was not walking. And when that happens, you're, you're, just, you're bound to run into something. And, and my daughter, my little, she's a, a year and a half, and she runs around the house like this. You know, she runs around, and, and, and it's amazing. She doesn't run into more things than she does, but she looks behind her while she's running because she knows somebody's chasing her, right? Just like my friend here who walked down the road, didn't look where he was going, ran into a pole, keep your eyes straight ahead. 
Look where you're going. Your eyelids look right before you. It's a metaphor for how you live your life. We are so easily distracted. It's like you sit for two seconds and you pull your phone out. I wonder what's happening in Germany right now. Why do we care? We are so enraptured by our friends from high school posting pictures of their trip to Cancun that we are totally distracted by our world. And we can't keep our eyes straight ahead what God has called you to do. There might be someone with you who needs to hear the message of Christ right in front of you. And our mind's a million miles away. Friends, keep your eyes straight ahead. How are your eyes doing? Let's keep going. Evaluate your feet. Verse 26 and 27. Here he ends. Where are you walking? Ponder the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the left, to the right. Remove your foot from evil. Once again, the path of the person is like a metaphor for life. Watch where your feet are walking, and when you do, the road will be firm. Now, in a road, in a world of dirt roads and muddy roads, you can imagine the value of having a firm road. In our today, we have potholes to worry about, but back then, they would have mud and all kinds of problems in these roads. And so to have a firm road where your feet could be solid was a blessing. If you look where you're going, he says, your feet will be established, your ways will be firm, and do not turn. Similar language to what we just discussed. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Friend, how is your wisdom preparedness? How is your wisdom preparedness? Have you evaluated yourself here? At the very end here, I put the only hope for change is the power of God. The only hope for change is God's power in your life. You've done your evaluation. You found that you're not where you should be. What do you do now? Friends, repentance is key. Would you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah? The book of Jeremiah, go forward in your Bible, just a few books. Isaiah, Jeremiah. I want you to turn to chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. You say, I've done some evaluating of my heart. I've done some evaluating of my life, and I am wanting. I have a need, and I need to change my heart. In verse 9, we have bad news. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What hope is there for a wicked heart? The human heart is a wicked thing. What hope is there? Look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. What hope is there in a wicked heart? God is the one who sees and tests the heart. And I want you to go forward to the book of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel chapter 36. Two more passages and we're done. Ezekiel 36. We need the power of God because what does God do in His power? For the one who is a wicked person, for the one who has a deceitful heart, the Lord searches that heart. God makes a promise in Ezekiel 36 that He will take us and transform us. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. Here's a promise. He says, I will give you 
a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God promises a radical transformation of the heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Now, one last passage that's in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We look at the wisdom that God has given to us, the wisdom that God expects us to walk in, and it seems impossible for us to live this way. And on our own power, that is absolutely true. But if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, and He, Christ, died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How is your wisdom readiness? If you look at your life and you say, I I look at my heart, my eyes, my ears, my feet, my mouth. I, I am far from where God wants me to be. There is hope and repentance. Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Christ, you have this promise that all things have passed away, all things have become new, and you can have God give you victory. But if you're an unbeliever, if you've never come to the point in your life where you recognize your sin before God and you confess that sin to Him and you trust Him as your Savior, guess what? You don't have any hope of change. You have no hope of change because you are who you are. And and as long as you are that way, you're going to do that thing. But the Bible tells us that you don't have to be who you are, that you can be transformed by the power of God, that you are no longer who you were. You are now a new creation. Where are you in your wisdom readiness? Are you ready to live life according to God's wisdom? Let's bow with prayer. Father, we ask today that you please work in our hearts as we evaluate our lives, evaluate our, our, our ourselves by your truth. And Father, I pray that you give us, give us the grace we need to, to be honest with ourselves today. Lord, if there's someone here today who has never trusted you as Savior, who has been trying to work their way to heaven, who who has been trying to do things their own way, Father, give them the courage to admit that they need to trust you as Savior. They need to come to you in faith and confess these sins before you. They need to recognize your grace in their life, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ who died for them that they might live for him. Father, for those believers, those Christians who today evaluate their lives, and if they do so honestly, look at their ear and their eye and their mouth and their feet, path, wherever they're going, and they say to themselves, yes, I I see where I failed. I desperately need to remember the transformation of Christ, to remember the beauty of salvation, to remember what Christ has given me at my salvation, and repent of my sin, ask for God to forgive me of my, my sinful heart, and decide today to change, to keep my heart with all diligence. Today, Lord, I make that call. I make that decision. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, friend, you can deal with God right now because we are complete in Him, complete exactly what He wants us to be. There's nothing left for us to do but trust in Him. Would you trust Him so you might be changed? Father, we come to you now thanking you for your grace in our life, thanking you for giving us the wisdom that we can live this life as you call us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.